Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, as well as Colossians 3, verse 20. We continue our study in the epistle to the Colossians. These are overlapping passages. Let's ask God to guide our time in prayer. Father God, as we talk about the family, as we talk about parenting and obedience to parents, we ask, Lord, that you would allow your inspired and errant word to impact us, to change us, to transform us. We pray, Father, that uh, you might use your word in our lives in a powerful way. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Parenting isn't for cowards. It isn't. But today's text isn't predominantly about parenting. It's about obedience and honor to parents. But the truth is, when you talk about obedience and honor, you certainly talk about the role of parenting, and we want to raise up the next generations to know God, to know his word, and to live out that word. So parenting is not for cowards. As I thought about parenting, I thought about Mom Carly. Mom Carly was having pizza with her son Logan. And she noticed that he had some dipping sauce for the crust. And she thought, I'd like a little dipping sauce. So she said, Logan, can I have some of your dipping sauce? Well, Logan clearly was perturbed by this. It didn't really matter to him that mom had paid for it. He thought it was his sauce. And so while he grudgingly pushed some across the table, he made it clear that he wasn't happy to do so. Well, mom Carly didn't exactly appreciate that. And so she decided to give him the I gave you birth speech. She reminded him that he was nine pounds, nine ounces at birth, to which Logan replied, how long are you going to skate on that one, mom? Oh, Logan, mama's going to skate on that one until you die. And not only on that, but the other ways in which she has built into your life. Parenting really isn't for cowards. But it's not just Logan. I thought of little John. Little John was three years old and he was about to have a bath. His dad was drawing the water for him. And so he had taken off his clothes and he pulled down his underwear only to expose another set of underwear. His dad thought, no, I'm not even going to ask. And then he pulled down his underwear to expose a third pair of underwear. Now his dad thought, I better ask. He said, uh, Johnny, why do you have three pairs of underwear on? Johnny, very proud of himself, said, Mommy tells me to put on a clean pair every day. <laughs> it had been three days since his last bath, and he had three pairs of clean underwear on. That's obedience by little Johnny. But then there was Julie. Julie struggled a little bit with obedience. She was a barefoot gal, you know, and she hated to be in her car seat. And if the trip was more than seven minutes long, 
she would kick off her shoes and her socks. I know what that's like. My grandkids do that. And uh, Julie's mom said to her, look, you cannot take your shoes and socks off and drop them on the floor. The truth was the car wasn't that tidy and it's hard to find the socks among all the things on the floor. But the grocery store was 10 minutes away. That's three minutes too long. And so when they arrived, mom got out and opened the passenger door to release her daughter from her car seat. There they were, bare feet. And mom was perturbed and said, I'm tired of looking for your socks and shoes on the floor. And Julie smiled and said, they're not there. I threw them out the window. <laughs> I guess obedience is in the eyes of the beholder. She had done what mom asked. Well, as we think about obedience in childhood, let me just read two passages to us. The first is Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, that's the word techna, it's the same word that we'll find in Colossians 3.20. Techna is referring to at home, provided for kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In Colossians 3.20, children, techna, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you followed the text, Ephesians 6.1 gave us the first reason why we ought to obey our parents. It's right. It's the natural order. God created at-home children to obey their parents. This is the way God set the home up. And as parents and grandparents, we need to make sure that we are raising up the next generation with God-honoring rules, and then we enforce those rules with gentleness but firmness to ensure that the kids are obeying the natural order, how God set it up. Children, obey your parents. This is right. It's the natural order. In addition, it pleases God. That word please actually means it's acceptable to God. If we want as children at home under our parents' roof being provided for, if we want to please God, if we want to follow the natural order that God set up, we will obey. And we won't just do what is said, we'll do it with the right attitude. Obedience is never complete. If we're just doing what we are told to do, we have to do it with the right attitude. It's got to be not grudgingly, not with anger, not stomping our feet. We do what we're told with the right attitude. In fact, the Bible says that we are closer to the return of Christ the more we see children disobey, children who are filled with anger and bitterness towards their parents. That is a sign that we are closer to the return of Christ. Let me read out of 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, 
unholy. One of the signs that we are getting closer to the return of Christ is that we have disobedient children. That ought to alarm us. If you read at all the news, that ought to alarm us. We have a thousand adolescents running out in the streets in New York, throwing rocks and other objects at the police. 63 are arrested or hurt. It ought to alarm us. We have a mayor in Chicago chiding the newspaper for calling a bunch of kids that are breaking into restaurants and stores. They dared to call them a mob. And rather than rebuke the kids, the mayor rebukes the newspaper. How dare we call disobedient children a mob? Where are we in society? We are a society in which disobedience is growing. Now, one of the signs of the return of Christ is children not obeying the Lord. Now, if you've listened to me preach for any length of time or teach, you know that I'm not inclined towards talking about all the signs of the end times. I don't want to be among the strident Christ followers who say Christ is going to return in my generation. That's been going on for 2,000 years, and Christ followers are batting zero. They're batting zero. All we can see is that there are signs that we're getting closer and closer. But I would say this, if you are among the strident who say that it's going to be in our generation, I would say that the Western world today is not nearly as far gone as the Western world in the first thousand years after Christ. Think with me about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had 60 million slaves, and we're going to talk about that in a week or two. The Roman Empire made it illegal to be a Christ follower. It was illegal to tell anyone about Jesus. It was illegal to have a church. We actually do not have any extant churches. We know where they met, like in the catacombs, but we don't have any extant churches that predate the Edict of Milan under Emperor Constantine in 313 AD when he finally legalized Christianity for the first 300 years. It was against the law to be a Christ follower, to proselytize, or to gather together to learn about Christ. We have that situation today in the 1040 window, 10 and 40 degrees north latitude, most of North Africa and Asia and the Middle East where we have the largest conglomerate of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus. And in some of these areas, it is against the law to be a Christian, a Christ follower. You can go to prison or you can be put to death. That was actually true for the first 300 years of Western Christianity. And then we have the Edict of Milan, and you can be a Christian. But we have the fall of Rome in 476. And then we go into the early Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, where the church is utterly dark. And we have all sorts of diseases, and there's very limited amount of joy in the land. And then we go into the feudal system, 
from 800 to 1400, where just about everyone in the Western world is a semi-slave. And you only obey land barons and kings, and for the most part, your rights are trampled on. And that was the first 1400 years of Western Christendom. So we don't have that. I would say if we compare honestly, the first 1,400 years of Western Christendom to today, today actually fares better. But there is an area. There is an area where I think we exceed what I know about the first 2,000 years of Western Christendom. And that is in the area of childhood disobedience, insolence, we have a higher level of rebellion in homes today than any period that I am aware of in the last 2,000 years in the Western world. And God says, childhood obedience for in-home, techna children, in-home children, dependent children, is the right order, it's pleasing to him, it evidences maturity, and it grows one into maturity. It is right. He tells us that we ought to, as children, be under, listen to, obey our parents. That word obey is hypoakoatai. Hypo means under. Akuo means to hear. Actually, we do this today. We say to a child, look at me and listen. That's actually hypoakuo. Look at me and listen, but it actually has one more step and obey with the right attitude. That's what it means to obey in scripture. Look, listen, follow with the right attitude. God said that's how he set up the home. That is right in God's eyes. It evidences maturity it is pleasing to him, and it will grow us in maturity. In fact, akua uh, is in the present tense. It's in the iterative tense. We are to obey, and then we are to obey, and we are to keep obeying because this is right. This is pleasing to God. This grows us in maturity, and it's evidence of our maturity. But how do we know that this obedience is only for at-home children who are dependent upon mom and dad financially. How do we know that's what the text means? Well, the word child, takia, just, it means that. It means that you are dependent on this mom and dad. But besides that, I think of Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two should become one flesh. Of course, that's about marriage, but it also is about somebody leaving the home, leaving the financial uh, giving of parents, and now having an independence on oneself. That cuts the apron string, and at that point, obedience is no longer demanded, but honor is. Honor is always demanded, of children, adult children, even aged children, towards their parents, the generation ahead. We are always to honor 
our parents. Colossians 3.20 again. Children, obey your parents in everything. Kataponte, in all things, for this pleases the Lord. What does in all things mean? How far is this obedience to go? It goes as far as one is honoring God. Obedience actually ends when higher law is being violated. Higher law is God's law. We see this all through the book of Daniel. Daniel is quite obedient unless somebody commands him to do something that violates God's law and then he follows God's law. In Acts 5, 29, the authorities come to Peter and say that he can no longer proselytize, tell others about Jesus. You remember what Peter says, judge for yourselves whether it is right to obey you or to obey God. So children who are at home, financially dependent upon mom and dad, are to obey in all things, but there is actually an area where you stop obeying. And that's if mom and dad or grandmother and grandfather wrongly encourage you to do something that violates scripture. Then you obey God, higher law. This actually goes back to us as parents. We are always role models. We never want to teach our children to lie. Say I'm not home. Say I'm so, no, don't teach your children to lie. Don't teach your children that if you get a better price claiming you are five rather than six, we're going to do that. Never teach your children how to quote unquote effectively sin. We are always role models for the next generation. Whatever it costs, it's not worth it to teach our children to lie, to be dishonest, to be unethical. We're always teaching the next generation how to live for God as we live for God. In everything, what does that include? It includes not only doing what mom and dad say, but doing it with the right attitude. That's part of this karakuo. It's not enough just to do what mom and dad say in a grudging manner. God does not consider me obedient if I just do what he says. For instance, he says to give the first fruits, but he says God loves a cheerful giver, not a grudging giver. I heard a guy say the other day at a, a place I was at, I don't care if you're a cheerful giver or a not cheerful giver, just give. My wife and I talked about it and said, man, that was awful. It was awful. He was joking, but it was awful advice. And it's not just that I obey. So I obey with the right attitude. That's what it means to obey God, to obey parents. Not just doing what they say, but doing what they say with a joyful attitude. What does obedience mean? It means that we don't have to set mom and dad straight. How often do we hear a young child correct an adult. I can guarantee you, if you are a child or teenager, there is no adult that is impressed with a teenager correcting mom and dad. If you think that that makes you look mature, I can guarantee you that makes you look 
immature. Every adult is thinking the same thing. Glad that's not my kid at this moment. It never impresses somebody because it's not maturity. It's immaturity when you try and set an adult straight. When the frontal cortex of one's brain is fully developed, probably at age 25, you will be amazed at how smart mom and dad are. They grow in wisdom through the years. It's really true. It really is. Mom and dad are not as smart as you thought they were when you were two. At age two, you thought mom and dad could answer every question, and they couldn't. But they're nowhere near as obtuse as you think they are when you're 14. Mom and dad have a lot of years of wisdom and insight, and the wise, mature teen minds that, M-I-N-E, but M-I-N-D-S isn't bad either, minds that from mom and dad, always listening and then having the right attitude. That's what it means to obey. But it's not just obedience. It's also honor. Let me read from Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is repeated six different times in the New Testament in different, different spots. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor is the Greek word tima. It means to uphold worth, to ascribe worth. We are to show honor to the generation and the generation ahead of that and the one ahead of that. Those who are older and more mature than us, we are to show them honor. We just came back from uh, a family reunion, uh, my side of the family. I think there were 33 of us, uh, my parents and their kids and their grandchildren and all their great-grandchildren, I think maybe 13 or 14, two of which were born in the last six or eight weeks. And uh, it was great to be with them. I can tell you my dad is 88, my mom is 85, my mom is very spry, my dad is really not moving too well. But he's really sharp, but he really is slow when we play cards, it's annoying. <laughs> Just lay down your cards, I'm thinking, son. Just play the thing, I'm thinking, son. And I lost every single game, it ticked me off. And I tell you that to honor my dad, well, he was very slow. That was dishonoring. But he beat me in every game, and I'm actually not exaggerating. It was so annoying. But you honor the next generation. You spend time, you love, you care for the next generation. But let me add a painful parenthetical remark. I've noticed when I counsel that a lot of younger couples came from less than perfect families. That would be every one of us. And I noticed that there's a little bit of an uptick in young couples saying, we're just going to cut off mom and dad for good. I'd be very careful. I'd be very, very careful. Mom and dad weren't perfect. I know that. And they made some big mistakes and probably are still making some. 
but to the best of your ability. Honor is not because they deserve it. It's because God has asked for it. And that's a different ballgame. We honor because God said it's right. It's pleasing. It's what God created us to do. Might there be a situation where somebody has to cut off in order to protect themselves? That could be. It could be rare. I think that would be true for my oldest two daughters. Our oldest two daughters are adopted. Uh, Their birth family's history is just horrific. Just horrific. And so the state removed them, put them in our home as foster kids, and then a few years later we adopted them. And would they wisely go back to their birth family? One of the two did and discovered why they had been removed in the first place. In that case, maybe you get new parents. But even if you have less than optimal parents, to the best of your ability, try and honor those less than optimal parents. And then build into your life a new set of adoptive parents, mentors that are older than you. And follow them and imitate them as they imitate Christ. But don't be so quick to just cut off and lop off dishonorable parents. Do what you can to nurture a relationship, even if you cannot follow them in any area and you have to get wisdom from someone else. Honor is something between us and the Lord, much more than us and a set of parents. The Bible says that obedience is for at-home children, techna, But honor is for all of our lives. I mentioned six times. I'll just read you the passages. Matthew 15 and 19, Mark 7 and Mark 10, Luke 18 and Ephesians 6. It's all over the Old Testament as well, even if it doesn't use the word honor, though sometimes it does. But this is a passage that doesn't. Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. When she is old means that you've been long out of the house and yet you don't despise her. You still show honor to your mother. A lot of Oriental cultures get this right. They value age. They value seniority. They don't put old people out to pasture. They're always trying to learn from them. Yesterday we had the Serve Conference. We'll have it again on the 20th. This will be where about three or or so hundred Highlanders are just training a little bit to serve better. And one of the seminars I went to was by Mike and Chris Zeidler. And I remember Chris, when she was asked a question, said, you know, this mentorship thing is not an option. Titus 2, older women train up younger women. Older men train up younger men. And it doesn't even mention that you're related to them. It tells you, me, us, that this is a command of God that we look for the generation younger than us or two generations younger than us and we mentor them. We model before them. We help shape them. We help lead them to become more like Christ. And if we're not doing that, we're not doing what the Bible has commanded us to do. A word to our seniors. I'm not there yet. I'm probably seven or eight years away from that. 
But a word to our seniors. Highland has some utterly amazing seniors. Wow, and thank you. We're very blessed. But don't ever take your senior years and waste them. You have more wisdom now, more freedom, more time than you have ever had to invest in the kingdom. And you got to invest it in the next generation. It's not just your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It's others as well. You have more freedom to mentor someone, to serve in the nursery or children's church or Sunday school, to serve with young adults or Generation 180. Don't consider your senior years as only hitting a golf ball. By all means, go golf and invite me. I'll go with you. (laughs) Play cards, and if you invite me, don't play slow like my dad, and I am going to try and beat you. (laughs) And travel, by all means. But if that's all retirement is, you're wasting what God has entrusted to you. You have more time, more freedom than you have ever had before. Invest it in the next generation. Invest your life in the next generation. And for those of us who are younger, we should welcome that investment in our lives. We should welcome working side by side with those who have gone before us and who have more wisdom than we do. And if you need a mentor, young person, go find somebody and ask them. They may not even know your name, but if you've been watching them and you want their investment in your life, just go ask them. They may or may not have time, but they may. And you may be richer and wiser for it. And if someone asks you and you can possibly squeeze it into your life, then do it. That's what we're called to do, to invest in the next generation. So if you're at home, obedience means look, listen, follow, and have the right attitude. And if you're out of the home, honor is still something we all do for the next generation. Let me suggest four ways to obey or honor. First, honor means stay in regular contact. Email, text, call. Within 10 minutes of seeing my mom, she said to me, Jeff, I ask you to send me your daughter's address. You didn't do that. I said, Mom, I sent it to you eight times. (laughs) But I know better. I know my mom cannot retrieve. And I should have thought through that and just picked up the phone and called her. So honoring is not just complying, but it's complying in a way that, in my case, my mom, very smart, technologically a little challenged. I come by that honestly. I am too. But I can open a message, and apparently she cannot. Honoring is staying in contact with the next generation. I told uh, John Payne on the way out, I had forgotten he was in my notes, and uh, John called his mom and dad every day when he left work for years and years and years and years. 
That's honoring. It's honoring. Always stay in contact with mom and dad, grandparents. Show honor. Find out about them. Learn from them and be richer for them. Second, speak highly of your parents and grandparents. They're far from perfect, and so are we. But speak highly of them. When uh, Ray Ray, our five-year-old granddaughter, was in vacation Bible school, she went to Marathon because we knew we would be away when Wausau held VBS. And apparently in Marathon, they asked the question, what makes you happy? I wasn't there. I just heard about it. And she popped up and said, Popo makes me happy. That's honoring. I won't long forget that. I remember when our youngest was at lacrosse, and I think it was her sophomore or junior year, I don't remember, and Betty Ann and I went down there, and we were in her room, and I don't think she expected me to ever see it, but there was a list over her desk, and on the list it said, qualifications of any guy I'm willing to date. Now, what would you do? Yeah, I know what you'd do. You'd read it. So would I. And I did read it. And if I had had an iPhone, I would have taken a picture of it. Because she said, someone like my dad. And then she said, approved by my dad. Now, there were like about a lot of these things. Those are the only two that mattered. They're the only two that I cared about. Speak well of your parents and your grandparents. Show honor. If you're at home, obey. It's right. It's the created order. And it's not just obedience. It's with the right attitude that will demonstrate maturity. It will grow you in maturity. It will be pleasing to God and it'll be pleasing to your parents, which is always a good thing. There really are no shortcomings of obeying your parents. It's just right. And finally, pray for your parents. You don't have to be old to pray for your parents. You can pray for your parents at any age and pray for their marriage and pray that when they get older, they would not go out to pasture and stop serving the Lord and, and pray for how they're serving. When I was speaking at a camp and uh, I had a number of uh, obligations, much to the frustration of uh, Ray Ray, our five-year-old, because she thought, camp? You get to play, and camp was play and work, and she didn't much like that. But uh, one night she was praying at dinner. It's the longest prayer I actually ever heard her pray. At the very end of it, she said, and Lord, please help Popa to preach much, much better. <laughs> Man, we all started laughing. And maybe God even answered that prayer. But the fact that a five-year-old would pray for a grandparent is a good thing. We don't have to wait until our parents are 80 to pray for them. Pray for your parents. That's an honoring thing to do. Well, let's us pray. Father, for our at-home children, may you give them a spirit of obedience not only to do the right thing, but to do it with the right attitude. And for we who are parents or grandparents, may we 
set up a home that seeks to honor you. Never tempting our children into types of sin. Never encouraging them in that path. May we be the role models that you call us to be. May we who have more time in our life be willing to mentor, be willing to teach, be willing to come alongside, not to waste the time that you have entrusted to us. Father, may we be a church filled with individuals who mentor the generation or two or three below us looking for opportunities to model Christ, to speak the words of Christ, and to help the next generation live out Christ. May this be our heartbeat and the reality of our lives. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.